You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Now, as we get into our text, or before I, I read the text, uh, I got a question for you. Um, well, the title of our message is Be Zealous for the Lord, right? And so we're called to be zealous for the Lord. We're called uh, to be eager to do what pleases God. And so our main idea for this week, uh, the sentence that we go through every week, this one is sin leads to destruction, but the soul that loves God will bear fruits of repentance. Again, sin leads to destruction, but the soul that loves God will bear fruits of repentance. And so before we read our passage out of 2 Kings, I got a question for you. Which kingdom would you rather live in? The first one is marked by people who are selfish and it results in all sorts of strife and jealousy and division and dissension, rebellion against one another, hatred for one another, child abuse, marital strife, unmet needs, lying, uh, and all sorts of gross sexual immorality, all sorts of wicked practices. And it's because the people uh, chose to worship idols. And as a result of worshiping those idols, they ended up doing those kinds of things. So that's the first kingdom. The second kingdom is where a people practice love for one another. And as a result, there's a joy amongst the people. There's a, uh, there's a peace. People are peacemakers with one another. There's patience, kindness. People are gentle with one another. Uh, people are good. Uh, they give without expecting anything in return. Uh, they're faithful to one another. They're self-controlled. While they might otherwise be tempted to do wrong, uh, they exhibit self-control and don't do those things by the grace of God. And these people are marked. Uh, they, they do these things because they worship the true living God and they love the Lord. Now, I think it's obvious uh, we'd prefer that second kingdom, right? Nobody wants to be part of that, that first kingdom. Nobody, uh, we all have situations in life where we've been around people like that, uh, and it's been very difficult, and, and we don't like it, uh, understandably. But if we're honest, every day we choose to live in both the, those kingdoms, don't we? If we're honest, uh, we're those people that practice selfishness and division and all sorts of hatred towards one another. But by the grace of God, we also will obey God and do those things, uh, as I mentioned there, those, those fruits of the Spirit. Those are the things that God calls us to do, and he works that in us. That's not something we try to be patient or try to be kind. We call on God for grace to do those things, and he works out uh, the fruit of the Spirit within us. So, of course, we prefer that second option. This morning, though, as we look at our text, we're going to be looking at King Josiah. He is one of the last kings in the long line of the kings of Judah, and we're going to see what kind of kingdom he wanted to live in. So let's open our Bibles. We're going to be taking a look at 2 Kings chapter 22. And I'll read the first couple of verses, then I'll jump to verse 8 and uh, read through verse 20. <clears throat> Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Basketh. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Looking at verse eight, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. 
When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they talked with her and she said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Josiah has read because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse and you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the perfect truth that you have blessed us with. We see in it your goodness and what an awesome God you are. And we see in it uh, our weakness, our utter lostness because of our sin, because we rebel against you. And so, Father, we pray that as we study your word this morning, that uh, our hearts would be revived to live lives of worship toward you. And if there's people that are hearing this message that don't know you, Lord, might you give them eternal life. Might you make it so that they believe for the first time in their lives that you, Lord Jesus, are the Messiah. Bless our fellowship together this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So after reading the text, it's clear what kind of kingdom Josiah wanted to live in. A place where God is served, a place where God is glorified, where he's honored and worshiped among the people. And so when he heard that they were guilty of sin and he saw the destruction of sin, uh, throughout the history of the kings of Israel, uh, he repented. When he saw his guilt, he repented. And that leads to the first part of our main idea. Sin leads to destruction. So what plagues humanity? It's sin. And essentially what sin is, is that uh, we have God's good commands and we, we rebel against him. We rebel against God and what he calls us to do. It's turning away from God and turning to live selfish lives, to live according to our own ways. And I think uh, we can see that that leads to destruction. But I wanna point out to you, if you look at God's commands, they're good for everybody. They bless everybody. Sin, on the other hand, going against God's word, leads to destruction, and it benefits some people to the neglect and the abuse of others. And so sin always leads to destruction for somebody and ultimately for all of us who carry it out. But obedience to God is good. His commands benefit all of us. And so Israel by this time had well proven that sin leads to destruction. As you recall, as we've uh, looked through the books, uh, book of the Kings, uh, 
The nation of Israel had suffered the consequences of sin. Initially, when they were given the promised land by God, they were a united nation, one nation, Israel. But because of their sin, because of the rebellion, it became a divided kingdom. And so there was the Northern Kingdom of Israel and the Southern Kingdom of Judah. And that's where we're talking about today. Josiah is in that Southern Kingdom of Judah. And we also know uh, in recent weeks how the Northern Kingdom of Israel, because of their idolatry, because of their sin, God brought judgment upon them. He brought his wrath upon them and had them conquered by the Assyrians. And so they were carried away. And so right now at this time, they're in exile. And of course, as we heard from the text, that's gonna happen to Judah as well because of their sin. Uh, so we can see that Israel well knew uh, the consequences of sin and how it leads to destruction. But if we're gonna be fair, we shouldn't just look at what other people have done, right? We should examine ourselves. Certainly we see uh, the consequences of sin in our own lives and how it leads to destruction. Before we were Christians, all we could do was sin. Yeah, sure, we might have been moral, upright citizens. That's great, temporarily. Uh, but we didn't do anything out of love for God. We didn't do any repenting to God. It was all fear of consequences. It was all looking good for, before other people. It was all for selfish gain and selfish reasoning. Uh, but we've seen consequences in our lives. Uh, broken families, broken relationships, some of us might have criminal records. Some of us might have gotten sin, uh, sick because of our sinful practices. And so we see the consequences of sin among us. And even as believers now, while we have eternal life, while our sins are forgiven before God, daily we have this battle. Are we going to obey God and do what pleases him? Or are we gonna do what pleases our flesh, our sinful desires? And so that's the struggle. And so we see these consequences of sin in our lives. And uh, by God's grace, we'll turn away from those things. Which leads me to an important point. While there are consequences for sin, God promises it. There's hope if we repent. If we repent from our sin and turn to God, there is hope. As believers, uh, he forgives us our sins and cleanses, uh, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God shows his mercy to us on a daily basis when we come before him and repent. And he loves it. He wants to see us live repentantly. For unbelievers as well, I'm hoping as you're listening this morning or you're hearing this message, uh, that by now you've realized that sin leads to destruction. You've seen its impact on your life and those around you. And hopefully you're making the connection that uh, all the bad things that are going on in your life is because you're sinning against God. It's not that you just violated some moral construct, uh, some societal norm, but you sinned against Almighty God. And as such, you're deserving of his wrath but there's hope. God is a merciful God. And if you call on him and repent, if you call on Jesus Christ as your savior, your sins will be forgiven. And so while sin does have consequences, there's hope if we turn to the Lord. And this leads to the second part of our main idea. But the soul that loves God will bear fruits of repentance. Again, but the soul that loves God will bear fruits of repentance. And so let's take a look at who Josiah was as a king. It said in our text, he became king at the, at the tender age of eight years old. Can you imagine that? And he was described as a good king. And Judah, the kingdom of Judah, had several good kings. As you might recall, that northern kingdom of Israel that at this time had already been taken away into Assyria, all they had was evil kings, all of them. But Judah had several good kings. Uh, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Joash, Amaziah, Azariah, Jotham, and most recently we studied about Hezekiah. 
Hezekiah, as you recall, uh, made a lot of reforms and did repenting before God uh, because of all the idolatry that was practiced. However, he didn't finish well. Uh, he, he became rather self-reliant and arrogant toward the end of his reign. But Josiah, of all these kings, gets the highest praise. Reason being is he inst instituted the most thorough reforms, the most thorough repentance. And we'll take a look at that uh, in a minute here, even more than Hezekiah. He was also described as one who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was described as one who walked in the ways of his father, David. Now, you might recall uh, King David was a man after God's own heart. And so he was a man who loved God and worshiped him and wanted to lead the people of Israel to follow God and no other gods. And we see this described in 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'll read it to you in a second here. Uh, Samuel at this point, or, or David at this point, had not yet become king. The first king of Israel was King Saul. And because of his disobedience, because he turned away from the Lord and he followed after the desires of his own heart instead of after God's, God was bringing judgment on him. And so he sent the prophet Samuel to him. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so two things we can observe here. One, sin leads to destruction. Saul was losing his kingdom. God was taking it away from him because of his disobedience, because he wouldn't genuinely repent. And of course, we know who that man was that had a heart after God. Uh, that was King David. Now, David, if you've uh, heard his story or read it in the Bible, uh, while he was a man after God's own heart, he did wicked things, didn't he? And we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, it shocks some people when you think, how can he be a man after God's own heart when he's done those things? Like I said, we'll talk about that shortly. Before we get to that, I want to talk about Jeremiah, because Jeremiah also spoke well of Josiah's reign. In fact, the Lord spoke through Jeremiah, speaking of Josiah's reign. Uh, Josiah, he was a good king, and when he died, his sons, when they were to become king, they were evil. Can you imagine after having a father like Josiah doing all those good things? that you would turn again to worship idols? Well, that's what happened. And so we see here, um, Jeremiah is speaking to his son, Shalom. And he says, do you think you were a king because you compete in cedar? Did, you, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord. And so we see in this text, uh, Shalom is receiving the consequences of his sin. Sin leads to destruction, but he speaks well of Josiah. And I, I like how this uh, paints a picture of God's heart. Is not this to know me? This is what it is to know God, to do righteousness and justice, to take care of the poor and the needy. That's God's heart. And that's the kind of uh, heart that Josiah had. And so while David was described as one uh, having a heart after God, so did Josiah. I think it's also interesting to point out that Josiah was in the lineage of Christ. In Matthew chapter one, where you see the genealogy that leads up to the birth of Christ, Josiah is in there. It's also important to point out that uh, Josiah's deeds, his coming were prophesied about in 1 Kings chapter 13. At that time in the Northern Kingdom of Israel, there was a wicked king named Jeroboam and he wanted to keep his kingship. And so in order uh, for him to maintain that, he thought uh, he was gonna set up a false idol in the city of Bethel. 
And the reason he did that is he didn't want the people to go to Jerusalem to worship as God had commanded them because he figured if they went there, uh, they were going to start talking about him and ultimately depose him from his kingship. And so he said, well, I don't want the people to go there. I'm going to set up a false idol. I want pe people to stay here close by me uh, so that I'll, I'll maintain my kingship. So this was evil. Not only was he being selfish, but he was leading the people of Israel to also be selfish and to, to worship idols. And so we see here, uh, God sent a prophet out of Judah and it says this in 1 Kings 13, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. So this prophecy, as we'll see, was fulfilled in Josiah's reign. He did exactly uh, what that prophet foretold about him. Now, why was Josiah a good king? Was it for political gain? Was it to be uh, well-favored among the people? No, he did it because he loved God. As it says, as I'll show you in a, another per, uh, verse that we'll get to, he loved the, God, loved the Lord his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He was a good king because he loved God. And he also had good examples. This is some speculation on my part, but going back to King David, uh, King David sinned greatly. He was a good king. He was a man of God's own heart, but he committed adultery, didn't he? He committed adultery, and if that wasn't bad enough, he had the husband of the woman he had an affair with put to death. He put him out on the front lines of battle for, so that certainly he would be killed. So he committed murder too. Even in our society today, people would be shocked by that. Even unbelievers would think, wow, that's, that's going too far. We get adultery, uh, but the whole murder thing on top of that is evil. And so he did a heinous thing, but unlike uh, some other kings in uh, the kingdom of Israel, he repented. While he did a wicked thing, he repented. Similarly, Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, remember him? He was described as the most wicked of all the kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. He shed a lot of innocent blood. He sacrificed children to uh, false gods. He did all sorts of wicked things and provoked God to wrath because of his sin. But yet, God in his judgment against him had him carried off by the king of Assyria. And when, when he was in captivity, he called out to God. He repented and God forgave him and brought him back to Jerusalem. And when he came, became, or came back to Jerusalem and was king, he instituted some reforms. He did some repenting. And so I speculate that it's possible that Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, discipled young Josiah and warned him, don't do what I used to do, but rather serve the true living God. And so we see uh, Josiah did what he did because he loved God and he had some good examples uh, before him of what repentance looked like. And I think it's also encouraging if you're out here this morning, if you're hearing this message and you think you've sinned too bad or you're too far gone, it's not true. The only thing holding you back is your pride, as if God couldn't forgive the most wicked of sins. Rather, turn to God, and it doesn't matter what you've done. I don't care how socially stigmatizing it is. I don't care how wicked it is. God will forgive you if you turn to him and call on him for forgiveness. So don't delay. Now, an interesting side note, historically speaking, is at the same time that Josiah was serving as king, Buddha was alive. Do you guys know who Buddha is? I'm from the Midwest, so when I moved here, I have never seen so many idols or little Buddha statues in my entire life. 
They're everywhere around here. In my neighborhood, a lot of people have them. They have the prayer flags and all that. And uh, it's a sad display of where some people's hearts are. Because while Buddha was highly regarded in this world, and still is, uh, he worshiped idols. In fact, he became an idol himself, as you can see in many people's uh, gardens. But he denied God. He never repented. His end is death, eternal destruction, eternal separation from God. In fact, uh, it's told that uh, one of the last things he said before he died was strive without ceasing. And if you understand Buddha's belief system, strive for nirvana, nirvana, uh, strive without ceasing. And that's how he died. But not so in knowing God. We don't strive to achieve anything. We find rest in the work of Christ on our behalf. We don't have to strive for it. Uh, there's no way we can save ourselves. There's nothing, uh, we, could, we couldn't strive hard enough to make ourselves right with God. But we find rest because Jesus, the work that he did on the cross, uh, it pays for our sins. And so we don't have to work. We can rest in him. And so think about this where Buddha is right now. He's in Hades awaiting the final judgment. Eternal torment and suffering the blessings of God are nowhere to be found where he is right now. We're sitting here in a nice sanctuary. It's air-conditioned. Uh, we'll probably go out from here and have lunch, uh, take a nap, go up to the mountains, do something. It's a beautiful day. Uh, but Buddha will not experience any of these things. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is what's set for him for eternity because he didn't repent. So don't hesitate to share the gospel with your friends and family and people you know uh, who don't know Christ. There's hope. We should warn them of, a, of the coming judgment and encourage them that there's hope in Jesus Christ. So let's take a closer look at what Josiah did as king. Uh, 18 years into his reign, he starts repairing the temple. It's in disrepair. It's a good kingly thing to do. And in the process of cleaning and repairing the temple, Hilkiah the high priest found the book of the law. Now, the book of the law was a large scroll, and it was likely, scholars believe, excerpts from the book of Deuteronomy, which we have in our Old Testament. Uh, the reason why they think that is because the reforms that Josiah made uh, square up perfectly with what we see in the book of Deuteronomy. But stop for a second and think about the state of the kingdom. Remember, Josiah was reigning already at this time for 18 years, and they didn't have the book of the law before them. So while he's described as a good king, uh, there were some serious errors or some serious ways that they were falling short. So they didn't have the law before them. Now, the interesting thing uh, is that the law was probably in a closet. And at that time, like I said, the temple uh, had idols in there. There were false places of worship set up in the temple of God. So again, the state of uh, the nation right there, uh, it was in a bad state of affairs. Until Shaphan the secretary read the book of the law to the king. And what does Josiah do? As we saw in our text, he repents. He didn't burn it. He didn't tell him to get out. He didn't kill the messenger. No, he heard the word of God and he repented. And it says in the text, he tore his clothes. This is a picture of uh, utter uh, distress and grief. Woe is me. And not just a woe is me because bad things are happening. It was a woe in me, a woe is me directed to God. God have mercy. What am I to do? And so, uh, naturally, uh, he, he calls on God uh, after hearing the word of God and finding that they are lacking, uh, as anybody who loves God would, uh, where else would you turn? You'd turn to God for mercy, because you know he's good. So he inquired of the Lord, and we hear from the prophetess that God warns of future judgment because the nation of Judah provoked him with idolatry. Sin has consequences. 
But God shows mercy to Josiah because he was repentant. Repentance is a a huge blessing for us. In fact, without the grace of God, we couldn't repent. And so we can rejoice at this. Uh, But Josiah, he was repentant. He was humble. He was humble before God. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't thinking, well, it's not my fault. Nobody gave me the book of the law when I became king. Uh, He didn't come up with excuses. He didn't try to cover his tracks. No, he was humble and he was broken. He was broken because he knew that he and the people had sinned against God. Not some selfish motivation or they violated some moral construct, like I said, not political reason, but because he had sinned against God and that cut him to the heart. And so Josiah makes a covenant. It's enough to hear the word, but now he's going to act on it. So Josiah reads the law to the people. And we see in 2 Kings chapter 23 uh, what happened here. Josiah, the king, sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the works of the covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined him in making this covenant. So we see he hears the word of the law and he calls on God for mercy and he acts on it. He repents. And not only just him, because the king was a representative of the nation, And their calling was to lead the people in righteousness. As we saw many kings before him led the people in idolatry and all sorts of wickedness, all the destruction that sin brings with it. But Josiah was going to lead the people to follow God. And I think it's interesting to point out that Josiah here is keeping the true intent of the law. Love. The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's, he's repenting before God and calling all the other people in the kingdom to repent as well, to worship God and him alone. Now, it's important to understand that we can't just be merely hearers of the word, as James writes about in the New Testament. We're called to be doers of the word. And so we're going to see uh, specifically how Josiah carries this out. First place he starts, makes sense, is the temple. Remember, the temple was built. Uh, the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God is. And it's where the people were to come and sacrifice so that their sins would be forgiven. And yet at this time, there were idols set up in the temple, something that shouldn't be. And so Josiah starts at the proper place and clears out all the idol worship out of the temple. And then from there, he destroys the high places in the kingdom of Judah. As you recall, uh, Israelites were notorious for having high places of idolatrous worship called high places. Now, some people worshiped uh, false gods there, And some people would even offer sacrifices to the true God, uh, but they weren't supposed to do that. They were supposed to go to Jerusalem. So even that was wrong. And so Josiah takes these places down and uh, pulverizes them, uh, breaks, uh, crushes them into dust and burns uh, the altars and all the things that were assembled together. And it's important to point out too that even some of those kings that were good that I mentioned earlier, while they followed the Lord, they didn't always remove the high places. And so while they repented of some things, they followed the Lord, they didn't get rid of all uh, the garbage uh, that was going on in the kingdom. Next, Josiah uh, destroys Asherah. Uh, Asherah was a Canaanite fertility goddess. 
And as you recall, uh, the Israelites, when God gave them the promised land, he said, don't have anything to do with them. Don't worship their gods. Uh, don't just follow me, worship me, and I'll provide for you and take care of all your needs. But instead, the people of Israel turned and worshiped idols. And one of the main ones they, they took under their wing or, or, or had part of their uh, worship was Asherah, the Canaanite fertility goddess. And there were small idols that were made uh, in her honor, and then also some poles that were set up that the people could come and worship. And so uh, Josiah comes and destroys all those idols. And he burned the poles and destroyed everything so that there was no, uh, nothing left of, of, of worship of Asherah. And if there were priests that promoted idol worship, they should be leading people to worship God. Instead, they promoted idolatry. He deposed them, removed them from office because they weren't fit for their office. What they did was evil. And then at that time, some of the idolatrous practices were wicked, that, uh, such that sexual immorality was part of their worship. And so there were houses of male cult prostitutes. And so Josiah comes and destroys those houses and scattered those prostitutes. So that kind of worship couldn't go on anymore. And one of the great things he did too, as you might recall, uh, some of the kings had offered sacrifices to Molech. And the belief was, if you sacrificed your child on the altar to Molech, he would bless you. Now bear in mind, this is wicked, right? Uh, who would, could you, it's unthinkable. Uh, to sacrifice your own child. And this was a God that was a figment of their imagination. He didn't actually exist. He didn't actually bless them. And if you recall God's promises to the people of Israel, he said, just, just trust in me and wait on me and I will provide for you daily. I will take care of all your needs. You will not be in want if you follow me. But they turned their back on God and instead worshiped this false God, Molech, even to the point that they sacrificed their own children uh, for hope of getting some goodness or some blessings in their lives. So wicked practices and, and Josiah destroyed it all so that people couldn't do it anymore. And then more than that, if you recall King Solomon, he started out as a good king, but towards the end of his life, uh, he turned to idols. And at the end of his reign, he actually set up places of worship of false gods, particularly Ashtoreth and Chemosh and Milcom. And those places had still been in existence up to Josiah's time. So none of the kings had removed those places of false worship, but Josiah did. He destroyed it so that they, they couldn't do that anymore. So he cleaned up the kingdom of Judah, but he wasn't done yet. As you recall, uh, the Assyrians had taken the northern kingdom of Israel away, but there were still some people there. And in fact, those high places were still up there and the priests that were promoting worship on those high places. And so Josiah destroys the high places. And what does he do? Well, just what the prophecy foretold in 1 Kings 13. He burned those priests on the altars. He burned human bones on those altars and utterly destroyed them to put an end to those wicked practices. So Josiah uh, is on a campaign for holiness. He wants to worship God and he destroys all the worship of false gods, not only in the kingdom of Judah, but north into what was left of the kingdom of Israel. What a faithful man. He loved God and he, wanted, he didn't want anything to get in the way of the worship of the true living God. More than that, he restored the Passover. It says in the, the scripture here that uh, the Passover had not been celebrated like this since the time of the judges, way before Josiah's time. And as you recall, uh, the Passover was a celebration uh, coming out of the land of Egypt. Uh, when Pharaoh would not let the people go as God commanded him, uh, God sent plagues on the people of Egypt to show that he was the only true living God and there was no other. And one of those plagues was that all the firstborn male children in the land would be killed unless 
as the Israelites were told, if you sacrifice an unblemished lamb and put the blood on your doorposts, the angel of death will pass over your household and you will not lose uh, your firstborn male child. And so the, the Passover was to be celebrated every year as a celebration for the salvation uh, that God had given to the people of Israel, that he delivered them from the land of Egypt. And ultimately, this points to what Christ has done for us. It speaks of him in the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews, that he was that unblemished lamb that was sacrificed once and for all to atone for our sins. And so now we celebrate Jesus Christ uh, as our Savior. And so Josiah uh, did great things in his love for God. And so it's a beautiful thing to see uh, the changes that were made. To move from that first kingdom where all those selfish, wicked practices were going and to promote, to promote that second kingdom where God is glorified and there's peace among the people. But think about this. After Josiah's repentance and reforms, why is Judah going to be destroyed and the people taken captive? Didn't God promise that they returned to him that he would bless them abundantly? Yes, and ultimately he did. In fact, uh, we see later on in the Old Testament that God did return the people back to the land and the temple was rebuilt. So God was faithful to fulfill his promise to them. But sin has consequences. But upon hearing of the consequences that the nation of Judah was going to face, Josiah remained steadfast. Sometimes if we hear about the consequences of sin, uh, people might uh, be obliged to not even bother then. Well, if I'm going to be, uh, suffer consequences for my sin, why should I bother trying to obey now? Um, and that's not a heart that loves God. In fact, that leads uh, back to our, our main idea. But the soul that loves God will bear fruits of repentance, even in the face of consequences. And so that's what it means to have a heart after God, to do what pleases him. Now let's take a closer look at repentance. Paul defines this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, and I'll be reading verses 9 through 11. The context there is that the church at Corinth had a rough start. They were doing some things that weren't pleasing to God. In fact, a couple of people were committing gross sexual immorality. And more than that, the people around them weren't taking issue with it. They were being arrogant. They didn't call those people to repentance. Hey, we're Christians called to holy living. What are you doing? Let's, let's obey God together. Repent. They didn't do that. And so Paul rebukes them. And as a result, they're cut to the heart. And uh, indeed, they do repent. So I'll read uh, 2 Corinthians 7 to you now. It says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. And so we see here, Paul is defining what godly sorrow looks like and how it leads to repentance. It's sorrow for grieving God. This is in contrast to worldly sorrow. As I mentioned before, that's a sorrow where you're sorry you got caught. You're sorry for the consequences of sin that you faced. You're sorry that people disrupted your sinful practices. And so it, it leads to death. It doesn't lead to uh, salvation because you don't want anything to do with God if you're in that mindset. We're given a great blessing in salvation. Not only are our sins forgiven, but repentance is a blessing from God as well. If it wasn't for God working in our hearts, we wouldn't even be able to repent. So we should rejoice in this opportunity uh, to turn away from sin and turn to God. 
To further define what repentance looks like, uh, it says in the text, eagerness to clear ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean an eagerness to cover our tracks or to make it, well, it wasn't really that bad. Let's not make a big deal out of it. No, it's an eagerness to remove ourselves as far from that sin as possible, to have nothing to do with it, to turn away from that sin with an eagerness to do what pleases God, to create separation uh, between us and that sin that we once practiced. Indignation is another aspect of true repentance. There's an indignation towards sin, even to ourselves. What was I thinking? Uh, but by the grace of God, I'm not going to go there anymore. So there's an indignation and anger towards sin, how it grieves God and how it destroys us and those around us. And then there's a fear, a trembling at the thought of sinning against God. And maybe you've experienced this as a Christian. There's been times where you sin and you're like, what? God, help me. Forgive me for doing this. Woe is me. What was I thinking? And so there's that trembling at the thought of sinning against God. And lastly, there's a zeal. Turning away from uh, sin, uh, we should then turn to God with an intense desire to obey him. There's a zealousness for God. And Josiah modeled this. He was zealous for the Lord. He wanted to do what was pleasing to God, and he wanted to encourage the people around him to do those very same things. So we're called to repentance, and this is what godly sorrow that leads to repentance looks like. But why repent? Some of you might be asking. Well, at the root of it is God's love, and it's our love for God, and it starts with God loving us first, right? We can look throughout human history. If we read throughout Scripture, we can see the loving kindness the patience, the kindness of God towards people. He gives people a chance to repent. And ultimately, we see this in Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus has come and died on the cross for our sins. People who did not deserve any mercy. None of us do. And yet God showed his goodness to us and that he made a way of salvation. And so we can rejoice in this. And as God has poured his love in our hearts, he's regenerated us through his Holy Spirit so that our hearts for the first time could see our need for a savior, that we could call on Jesus Christ as Lord. And so it's a great blessing that God, the goodness of God and what he's done for us, that we could call on him as our Lord and savior. And as such, if God loves us and he's poured out his love into our hearts, we can now love God. And what a great blessing and joy that is that we can uh, obey his commands and do what pleases him. And inherently, as we grow as Christians, we're going to learn to hate sin. Uh, it doesn't come all at once, right? We're kind of slow on the uptake on that kind of thing. Uh, but God is merciful. He's always working in our hearts on a daily basis to sanctify us, to help us to know him and to know his goodness. And he's patient in this. And so we can rejoice at this. In fact, uh, it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. Romans chapter 2 talks about this. Paul is, is exhorting some people that are refusing to repent. They don't think they need to. They think they're, they're just fine the way they are, and they don't need to call on Jesus as their Savior. And so he calls, he calls out to them and says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Again, two things we can see in this passage. Sin leads to destruction. But there's hope if we repent. And in fact, God shows us his goodness, his kindness, his patience to encourage us to repent. He's a good God. And lastly, as we've already seen, why repent? Well, sin leads to destruction. We've seen this in our own lives and in the world around us. So in conclusion, I want us to examine ourselves. 
Do we have idols that we are secretly keeping? Do we have secret practices in our life that are not pleasing to God? Or are we practicing sins or, or committing sins that, hey, if nobody notices, uh, why not keep doing it? It's not a big deal. So we make light of sin. We make light of the condemnation that God has towards sin. Or are we like Josiah, who suffered for lack of the knowledge of the word of God? We just don't know. And that's why I encourage people, we should all be daily reading God's word so that we can know how to live lives that are pleasing to him. And when we read that, the spirit convicts us. And there's a big contrast between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and what Satan does. He condemns us, right? So when the Holy Spirit convicts us, there's hope in that. We can repent. It draws us to God, that conviction from the Holy Spirit. In contrast, that condemnation that comes from Satan, why repent? I'm doomed. I'll just carry on in my sin if God totally hates me and rejects me. Well, that's not the case. God's goodness and his kindness and his patience are calling you to repent. So if you're convicted by the Spirit, turn away from sin and obey God. So together, let's repent as a church. While God doesn't expect perfection, we're called to live repentantly. And if we do this together, we're going to see the fruits of what we saw in that second kingdom. One where there's love for one another. One where we're patient with one another. One where we can see the work of God in our lives and uh, we rejoice in it as we see these things. So let's walk by the Spirit so that we don't carry out sinful desires. May the Spirit strengthen us to do these things. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.